give him a shout of praise tonight. Whoa! That sickness is not in control. Your circumstance isn't in control. Somebody declare God is in control. Anybody grateful for what the Lord has been doing around here today? This morning when the Holy Ghost finished around here, two more people were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. That ought to make somebody shout tonight. And then we had a few more people receive the Holy Ghost in the altars this morning. I think we ought to put our hands together one more time and give God a praise. Did you come with expectation in your spirit tonight? How many of you thank God for the man of God that preached to us this morning? Put your hands together one more time and give God a good praise. As evangelist, Jermaine Irvin comes to deliver the word of the Lord to us again tonight. Clap your hands, all you people. Somebody shouting to God with the voice of triumph. Somebody shouting to God with the voice of praise right now. Somebody shouting to God with the voice of victory right now. Does anybody have victory in the house of the Lord? Did anybody come to shout? Did anybody come to praise? Did anybody come to dance? Somebody ought to take about three seconds and give God the best praise that you've given them all year. like the church of the living God and I don't know why you stumbled in the house of the Lord tonight but I'm here to tell you that you've come to the right place healing is in the house deliverance is in the house victory is in the house whatever you need you can find right here in the house of the Lord praise God somebody clap your hands one more time to the Lord This church dangerous. I gotta stay focused. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You ought to take about five more seconds and get up on your feet and give God a crazy praise right now.
Praise God. Praise God. My, 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 my. tonight catch me on another weekend and we'll rock along praise God praise God if you're turning your Bible 2nd Kings chapter 2 2nd Kings chapter 2 while you're turning there let me say what an honor it is to be in this house I give honor to your bishop and his wife anybody thankful for your leadership anybody thankful for your pastor for the shepherd of this house you are blessed people. I'm just honored to be a part of what you're doing here. I'm just glad that I get to play a small part in what God's doing in Fort Myers. What a great church. You ought to give yourself a hand. Praise God. Praise God. Second Kings. Begin reading chapter 2. We'll go to verse 9. The Bible says, and it came to pass... When they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel. 
the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. Uh, he took also up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also, had also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah, Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Bowed themselves to the ground before him. I want to tag in with what my sister was saying earlier. And I want to let you know that I've learned over the years that life-changing services and life-changing messages, it has a lot less to do with what was preached or who was preaching it. But it had a lot more to do with those that had an expectation in their spirit that I refused to leave the way that I came in the house of the Lord. We walk away and we say, that message changed my life. That service changed my life. But the truth of the matter is that you came in the house of God on a Sunday night with a made-up mind that I won't take no for an answer and that I got to leave this place different than I came. If that's going to be you right now, I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to go ahead and cry out to God. I want you to lift up a shout of praise. Give God everything that you've got right now, Jesus. We need you in this house, oh God. We've come to magnify your holy name, oh God. We've come to lift you up, Jesus. God, we want more of you on a Sunday night. God, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied with an experience, oh God. God, but we want you, oh God. We want your spirit, oh God. We want your love, oh God. We want your mercy, oh God. We want your grace, oh God. God, I pray you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Jesus, you're my strength and my redeemer. Somebody say in Jesus' name. For just a couple moments, I want to preach to you on this title, The Pursuit of the Mantle. The Pursuit of the Mantle. If anybody's going to help me preach, why don't you clap your hands one more time unto the Lord. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I feel like I'm on assignment tonight. I like the atmosphere that we were just in, and I want to rock along with that as, as well as anybody in this house. And I don't feel like tonight I'm preaching anything that you guys don't already know, but I feel like I just want to add to that fire that's already in this church right now. So just stay with me. We're going to go somewhere, and I believe God's going to change some hearts tonight. And I believe that God's going to do something supernatural in this atmosphere. I believe that there are going to be people that are changed by the power of the word of God tonight. Praise God. The pursuit of the mantle. Elijah was the first great prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. The prophet introduced without a background. Elijah came bursting onto the scenes in 1 Kings. 
in a time where Baal, the Canaanite god of storm, of rain, and of fertility was gaining allegiance throughout the kingdom. It was Elijah who would come with the confident assertion that the God of Israel was in control of all the powers of nature. As the Lord God of Israel lives, there shall be neither dew or rain except by my word. The dramatic message was clear. If the word of Elijah could negate all the claims of Baal to give fertility and moisture, clearly Baal was not a God deserving of either worship or fear. Does anybody serve a God that's deserving of worship? Does anybody serve a God that's deserving of fear? Does anybody deserve a God that's deserving of honor, deserving of praise? And that praise God. So Elijah comes back from his encounter with the widow woman three and a half years later to challenge the man Ahab. He gives this charge. He says, go get all of Israel, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of the groves, and meet me at Mount Carmel. And he addresses the people of Israel with this question. He says, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He asked the people, how long will you halt between two opinions? And I believe right now we need to ask that question in this sanctuary. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to have one foot in and one foot out? I need an apostolic that's willing to pursue God with everything that you've got right now. How long are you going to stand in an in-between place? How long are you going to have one foot in and one foot out? Sometimes you just got to make a decision and make your calling and election sure. We need to know whose side you're on. Elijah said, you're not going to stand here and be, uh, be in an in-between in place. But today, you're going to make a decision. You're going to make a decision that says, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to do the things of God. Somebody in this house, you've got to make a decision tonight. Comes a point in time when you got to jump in with both feet. Then Elijah says, since I'm only one as a prophet of the Lord, and Baal has 450 men that are prophets, let them give us two bullocks. Choose one, cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, lay it on wood, put no fire under it. And you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And the prophets of Baal took the bullock, dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even unto noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And the Bible says that they leaped upon the altars which were made. And at noon, Elijah, he said, Cry aloud, for he is a God, right? Either he's talking or pursuing or on a journey or maybe, just maybe, your God is asleep. 
How many serve a God that never sleeps and never slumbers? A God that knows where you are? A God that can hear your cry when you get down on your knees? You serve a God that sees you where you are. You serve a God that knows every need. You serve a God that knows every situation. You serve a God that can answer the cry. We serve a God that doesn't take vacations. We serve a God that's always standing at attention at what's going on with his people. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. That lets me know that God's watching my situation. They were praising a God that couldn't hear him. They were praising a God that couldn't see him. They were praising a God that they had to prop up. The moment that you start praising a God that can't hear your cry, that can't see where you are, a God that you have to continue to pick up, you're serving the wrong God. But today, you've come to the right place. We serve the one true living God. Does anybody serve that God that I'm talking about right now? The psalmist said it this way in Psalms 115, but our God is in the heavens. He had done whatsoever he has pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Hands they have, but they handle not. You serve a God that can see you. When you get down in that prayer closet of yours, I'm telling you, you may not think God is there, but God is right there watching. The Bible says that the arm of the Lord is not short, that he can't save, and the ears of the Lord are not full, that he can't hear. You serve a God that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We serve a God that's alive. You think that's simple. That's a big deal. I'm here to remind you right now that your God is still alive. I'm here just to let somebody know on a Sunday night, I know you got it all together, but baby, you lost sight of the fact that you serve the only one true living God. And when you get an attitude about that and understand that God can work out your situation, that God can work out your circumstance, that God can show up right on time. Praise God. I'm thankful to serve the one true living God. People searching all over. Couldn't find nobody. But we know where he at tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful to serve the one true living God, a God that sees, a God that hears, a God that speaks, a God that knows where I'm at. I need a God that can hear me when I cry. I need a God that I can talk to that's got an ear to hear. I need a real God. I'm tired of everybody talking about fake things that they prop up as God, but I need a real God that cares about my situation, that cares about my family. Bible says that they cried aloud. They cut themselves with knives until blood gushed upon them. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And there was no voice, nor any answer, nor any even that cared. 
Bible says that they begin to cut themselves and see this cutting business has been uh, in operation for a long time. This is not anything new. This has been done for a long time. And this is what happens when people serve a God that can't hear their cry. Let me preach for just a minute. You got people that are out here in the world. They're going crazy. They're putting a gun to their head. They're committing suicide. I'm here preaching to somebody right now. Letting you know the reason for that is because they can't find the one true living God. That's why the church has got to get busy. We got to let them know. I know where he's at. I know where the... You start resorting to some crazy stuff when you can't find a God that can hear your cry. You start going to some crazy stuff when you can't find a God that can see you when you're hurting. And you try to pray to God, but you don't get an answer. I'm here to let somebody know on a Sunday night. You've come to the right place. God is here right now. God's ready to meet every need. God's... I remember teaching school, high school Bible studies. We were in five different schools at one time, every day of the week. I had the privilege and the blessing and honor to be able to go into high schools and teach the gospel. And I remember going into this one school. It was a, it was a really good school. It was an affluent school. Most of the students, if not all, were going to pursue some form of higher education by scholarship. This was a prestigious school in the city. It sat right downtown in the middle of our city. And I remember walking in there and teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Me and my brother, we were teaching this study together. And I'm talking about... Good kids. Driving BMWs to school at 16. Mercedes. Porsche. Pulling in the parking lot. I'm like, man, who car is that? <laughs> oh, that's the quarterback of the football team. Man, how old is he? 16. What? But you get the picture. So we had an idea. What we wanted to do was we wanted to engage the students a little bit more. At this point, we had about 100 kids in study, and God, to God be the glory, he helped us in that study. And we were there, and we, had, we, we made a decision. We were going to get a box. It was going to be a prayer request box. And we were going to put that at the door of the, of, the, of the classroom that we met in. And we put that in the door of the classroom and set it there. And we let the kids know, look, if you've got something that you need, to, you need prayer about, I want you to come and put it in the box. And by the end of that study, that box was full. And me and my brother made a pact. We said we're going to earnestly pray for every one of these things that's in the box. But what I found, Brother Williams, was something that was really strange to me. I didn't quite understand it. As we got home that night, we started pulling one thing after another out of that box. And kids were saying, I'm cutting myself. And nobody else knows about it. 
I feel like I don't have any purpose and I, I don't know what to do at this point. I, I, I've tried suicide three or four times and I've done this and this and this and they had all of these. We were pulling them out one at a time and I'm telling you, this is what's happening in our world. We were shocked and we began to pray and we went to the word of God and we stumbled upon this passage of scripture. And I realized this is what happens when people try this and try that, but never try Jesus. Sometimes you got to get outside the church a little bit to remember how bad the world is. Because we get in here and everything is okay and everything is all right and we're praising God and we're all on one accord. But we can't ever forget that we've got a world to save. We can't ever forget that there are desperate people that need to hear from an apostolic. Don't ever give up. Don't ever get weary. Don't. And we started earnestly praying for each one of these these knees that were in the box. And I didn't realize that it was like this. This school was, was one of the top schools in the city. You had to take a test to get in this school, and everybody was pursuing college. But beyond all of the, the cars and all of the clothes and all of the things on the inside of them, they had a soul that was crying out for help. And I told my brother, I said, they came to the right people. They came to the right people. I remember we started loading those kids up and bringing them to the church. And Brother Williams, we baptized them in Jesus' name. We prayed for them, and they received the Holy Ghost. As and this just doesn't happen out in the world. But some way... It begins to creep in the church house. And I'm fed up with the devil. Because I'm fed up about the fact that he would start to take somebody and twist their mind to think that they don't have any value and they don't have any purpose. They used to say, where I'm from... It was a fighting term, but they would say, you got the right one. And I'm telling you today, they got the right one. When you come in the house of God, I'm here to tell everybody under the sound of my voice, there's a purpose connected to your existence. You're here for a reason. God's got something for you to do. You're here. God loves you. God Come on, somebody, if you're struggling with suicide today, today is the day that you get delivered from depression. Today is the day. It just takes somebody to let you know. I don't care where you come from. 
I don't care what your life has been like up until this point. I don't care who failed you. I don't care what your daddy told you. I don't care what your mama told you. When they say you can't be anything, the devil is a liar. God sent a preacher on a Sunday night to let you know you can be somebody in the house of God. You can be somebody in the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. I'm a living testimony. We come from the uttermost, the guttermost. We come from nothing. We come, my God, my God. God can take your life if you let him. God will take your life, and he'll make something beautiful out of it. But the first thing that's got to happen is you've got to know, God, I'm here for a reason. God, what do you want me to do? There's value connected to you that you can't even comprehend. There's only one person that can do it like you. Think about that. Let's take a minute. I know we're churching right now, but think about that. Nobody can do what you were called to do. There's some great preachers in this movement, but nobody can do it like you. It's some great preachers, but nobody can do it like you. And that's not to get too high. That, that's just to know God has me here for a purpose. And the re and when you get connected and get a hold of that purpose that God put on your life, you can do great things for God. You won't have to worry about committing suicide. I'm telling you, you will understand that God's got something for you to do. Somebody's got to hear this today. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But somebody's got to hear me today. There is value connected to you. No matter what your mama told you. No matter what your daddy told you. No matter what all your friends say about you. When you get connected to that God reality that's on the inside of you. When you get connected to the value that God put in you. Then you can turn the world upside down. I believe in my spirit that one person has the power to change the whole world. I'm going to say this and then we're going to move on. I feel like I'm supposed to be here for right now. I read a lot of books and one of the books that the pastor put in our, at our desk is a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I remember reading this book and one part of the book, it talks about it's a psychologist and he is a prisoner in the Holocaust and he's in the, in the concentration camps and he's going through everything with everybody else but he just so happens to be a, a psychologist and a doctor and so he goes in with the same hat on. He's having to do the same work but he's looking at everything completely different. And he starts observing people and he starts to realize when people start to give up on life and he starts paying attention. And he says, if they, if they begin to smoke, he said, the, the end is near. They're starting to give up on life. He said he had a good friend that said that all the prisoners were getting excited because Christmas time was coming around. And around Christmas time, they thought that they were going to be free. They thought this nightmare was going to be over. Christmas time is coming. Everybody deserves to go home for Christmas. He started watching and observing as Christmas time came 
and went. Hear me today. The death and the suicide rate from December 26th to January 1st skyrocketed. Why? Because there's no purpose connected to my existence anymore. Because I'm just living this life that's going nowhere and I don't have anything to reach beyond my current situation to grab a hold of that would bring me a peace and a joy and a revelation that there is more to life. But Victor Frankl, he understood. He says, if I can just reach up and find something worth connecting to beyond the barbed wire of my existence right now. then I can sustain anyhow or why. It doesn't matter why I'm in this situation. I'm walking with a focus that lets me know that there's going to be another day, that there's going to be another moment, that no matter what my current circumstance looks like, God's going to break me out of this. God's going to bring me through. God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And he had a good friend. That was in the camp. And he looked at his friend and he started observing him. He looked at his face. He says, you're about to give up on life. He says, but you don't understand. We were supposed to be gone by Christmas time. What else is there to live for? I'm preaching to somebody right now in this sanctuary. What else is there to live for? I'm preaching to you right now and letting you know that there is a purpose that God has created you with. And if you can just get a hold of it on a Sunday night, if you can just get a hold of it on a Sunday night, God can do something great in your life. And Victor Franco started to let him know. That is not all about you. That you've got kids that are connected to you. That need daddy to make it another day. He said, you've got a book that you're writing right now that's going to transform the world. You can't give up right now because you've got a contribution to make to the world that nobody else can make. And when you start to get that in your spirit and you start to understand, man, I'm not here by happenstance. I'm here for a reason. I've got a contribution that I've got to bring to the house of God. I've got a contribution that I've got to make to the world that nobody else can make. Nobody else has your fingerprint. Nobody else has your name. Nobody else has your makeup. Everything about you is special. Everything about you is different. Nobody can preach it like you can preach it. Nobody can sing it like you can sing it. Nobody can dance your dance like you can dance your dance. There's value on a Sunday night. Yeah, I'm here to preach to you right now and let you know. We're going to stop right here, but I'm going to let you know that God has you here for a reason. And if you get a hold of that purpose, if you get a hold of that reason, then God can use you in a mighty way, in a way that the world has never seen before. You know again, you serve the one true living God. 
You don't serve a God that can't hear you. You don't serve a God that can't see you. But you serve a God that knows where you are. A God that created you with a destiny. A God that created you with a purpose. A God that created you to be you. And nobody else can do that. So we got to stand up and get about doing the business of being who God called us to be. Somebody clap your hands right now. Bible says that Elijah gathered all the people and repaired the altar of the Lord. And he took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he put wood and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood. And told them, go and fill four barrels of water. He said, do it again. Go and fill four more barrels water and a third time go and fill four barrels of water I'm not the smartest guy in the room but I know if I'm trying to set something on fire I don't want to put water on it but see sometimes God will do things that don't make sense that's against the laws of gravity that's against the laws of human nature just to let you know who the one true living God is and when you see God work a miracle that you've never seen before you can rest assured God's still doing what he did back in the day God's still doing what he did all alone God's the same yesterday today and forever I'm here to let you know you gotta just lean up with God and you gotta just watch God work watch God operate Watch God do something supernatural in your life. And Elijah prayed. And he said, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. And that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me. Oh, hear me. That this people will know that you are the Lord God and that you turn their heart back again. Then the Bible says that the fire of the Lord fell. It consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah slew all the prophets of Baal and told Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there's a sound the abundance of rain. And we know the story. He goes up multiple times and he gets to the sixth time and Elijah tells him, go up one more time. And, and he says, look, you don't understand. I've been up here six times and I haven't seen anything. I'm here to preach to you right now and let you know when your man of God gives you a word, you can take it to the bank. Just do it one more time. Just follow after the man of God. And when Jezebel heard of the slaughter of her prophets, she not only failed to abandon her faith in Baal, but she also sent men to kill Elijah. Stay with me, we're going somewhere. So Elijah flees and tells God to take his life. He's not better than his father's. And God began to speak to him and gave him a new commission in 1 Kings 19 and 15. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto him, 
Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth by the sword, the sword of Haziel, shall Jehu slew. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slew, slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I to do, have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slew them and bore their flesh with the instrument of oxen and gave unto the people. And they did eat, and then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. And Elisha begins to follow Elijah. Together they start their journey just doing the work of God. And now at the end of Elijah's life, the Bible says that the Lord will take him up by a whirlwind. This was not a surprise. It was common knowledge. Elijah knew it. Elisha knew it. Many knew that was in the time the sons of the prophets of Bethel knew. The sons of the prophets of Jericho knew. It was almost time for Elijah to be taken up. And Elisha tries to go alone. He tells Elisha to remain at Gilgal, to remain at Bethel, and to remain at Jericho. But Elisha was relentless in his pursuit. He followed him everywhere he went. And as long as Elijah was on the earth, Elisha would cleave to him. And I believe that there are many things that we can learn from Elisha. Number one, before we can lead, we got to learn how to follow. I said before we can lead, we've got to learn how to follow. The model of apprenticeship is a model that's kind of out of the window in our current culture. You don't find many people that are following after something and pursuing it relentlessly. I remember when I was about 16 years old, I started working. I, I got a trade, and the trade was paintless dent repair. I began to work on cars, fixing dents and dings and hail damage and all of that stuff in really high-end cars. And I remember the guy that hired me. His name was Josh, and I was working for him, and I... I just held the, the, the screwdriver and I picked up the phones and I just did whatever he asked me to do. And I remember he was so skilled at the craft that I would watch him when he would go and work on somebody's brand new Porsche. And I would watch him. He was so good at what he did. And I remember wondering to myself, will I ever be able to fix these cars the way that he's fixing these cars. And I remember him working on really complex stuff and I would stand behind him and just watch over his shoulder. I remember going to dealerships and then putting the car right on the showroom floor. Customer standing there 
the owner of the dealership standing there and all the pressure is on you. And he would walk boldly into those situations and do the job that was at hand. And I remember thinking to myself, how did he have this confidence? How did he get to this level? And I remember there was a day when I started picking up tools. And I would try to do some of the stuff that I saw him do. And I remember when I started going out by myself, they pull up a brand new Mercedes on the showroom floor, owner of the dealership's there, the customer's standing there, and I'm looking at this car, and they're looking at me. I'm 16 years old. Back then, I probably looked eight years old. Standing there, this 16-year-old kid working on this expensive car, and, and the guy's looking at me, and I'm wondering to myself, man, I'm in trouble. I say, give me one moment, I'll be right back. I go pick up the phone, I say, Josh, if you don't get out here right now, I am about to wreck the company. It's a wrap, we're done. You better show up on the scene, you better have a cape on, and you better be able to talk nice to these people because they all looking at me right now. And I remember moments like this and situations like this. Oftentimes, I would pick up the phone and I would call Josh and I would pick up the phone and I would call Josh and I'm trying to figure out my way in this trade and I'm trying to figure out how to work my way through some of this stuff. But there came a point in time when the phone calls started to be less and less because when you follow closely, the man doesn't have to be there in order for you to know what he would do. We got to get back to following closely. We got to get back to the pursuit of a thing. We've got to get back to apprenticeship. we got to get back to the man of God walking ahead and somebody else trailing behind saying, where do you want to go? Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you lodge, I'm going to lodge. we got to get back to following closely. And as you begin to follow closely, when you follow so closely, there comes a moment in time where the people can't even make the distinction between the man and the person that's next. Sometimes you just got to learn how to follow. We may not need you to lead today, but today is your day to be a great follower. Let me tell you something. The greatest leaders are the best followers. They just learn how to get behind the man of God. They learn how to get on his shoulder. They learn how to say, how did you do that, pastor? How did you do that? I got to learn how to do that today. But it's not on the pastor. It's not on the man to always pull you aside. The mentee has to pursue the mentor. 
Well, pastor, don't ever call me. Let me tell you something. You better start learning how to pick up the phone and getting on the pastor's nerves. Pastor, what can I do for you today? How can I be a blessing to the church today? Is there any toilets that I need to clean today? I'm holding the microphone today, but I know what it is to get down on my knees in a bathroom and get, get this towel cleaned out. I know what it is to clean up the toilets. I know what it is for nobody to know who Jermaine Irvin was, but I'm telling you, you just got to pursue this thing relentlessly. You got to get a hold of the... There has to be a relentless pursuit there has to be following closely. There has to be a place where it doesn't matter about anything else. I just want to get behind my man of God. I just want to get behind my woman of God. I just want to go wherever they go. And when you get that in your spirit, you start to ask questions. And when they, you start asking the right questions, then those treasures start to pour out and you start to learn the tricks of the trade. And as you begin to learn the tricks of the trade, there's going to come a day. Somebody hear me today. There's going to come a day when the man of God is not in town and there's no drop off. That's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. He doesn't have to be here in order for us to have our best service. I'm going to be at my best when he's here, but I'm going to be at my best when he's not here. I'm going to show up on time when he's here, and I'm going to show up on time when he's not here. What happens is you start, you start taking on a thing that we call personal responsibility. See, it's easy for people to have expectation for us. But it's another thing for you to have an expectation for yourself. Some people just do it because pastor's watching or the boss is watching. But there's a shift in your maturity when pastor or the boss is nowhere to be found and you just continue to do the right thing. Am I preaching to anybody on a Sunday night? And so you start following so closely that you don't find a distinction. About five years ago, I bought the company that I started working with at 16. And I hired my little brother. He works for me. And sometimes when I'm working on a really complex dent, I can feel him breathing on my neck. I'm like, bro, just get back just a little bit. Give me a little space. But he's like, no, sir, because I'm following closely. There's going to come a day when you're not here, and I'm going to have to do this. So I got to follow you closely. I want to know how you do this. I want to know how to do it right. I want to know how to do it well. I don't want there to be any drop off. I don't want anybody to say, where's your brother? See, Elisha. He learned something. He learned how to follow closely. 
He said, just stay back. Just chill. Stay at Gilgal. Stay at Bethel. Stay at Jericho. You don't got to go with me today. No, sir. You got to get an attitude in your spirit. Pastor, wherever you go, pastor, whatever you do, sister Williams, whatever you need, I'm here for you right now. I can do anything. If you see him picking up a chair, you ought to go and snatch the chair out of his hand. If That's how you have revival. You have revival when everybody is following and everybody at any given moment can step into a leadership position. So as we begin to follow closely, I'm telling you, young people, young men, young ladies, you got to get a hold of what I'm preaching tonight. I'm telling you, this church will go to another level if you get a hold of what I'm talking about right now. We're not waiting for anybody to volunteer. We're not waiting for anybody to show up. Everybody, there's a line at his door. What can I do today? Let you know another thing that following closely does. Following closely puts you in alignment with the man of God. He said, if you see me when I go up, that's lets me know that I got to be there when he goes up. Which means I got to be following so closely that it puts me in direct line with this mantle that I'm pursuing after. And alignment is so powerful. And, 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 and being somebody that will just stand behind the man of God is so powerful. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a secret today. Brother Williams does not pastor everybody in this church. You know who he pastors? Those that come under submission and under the authority of his anointing. We follow him as he follows Christ. But I'm telling you, you got so much chaos in your life right now because you stepped out of alignment with the man of God as he's in alignment with the... Without alignment, there will be no mantle. He said, just stay here at Gilgal. Stay here at Bethel. Stay here at Jericho. He said, no, I've got a mantle that I'm pursuing after with all of my heart. And the only way that we're going to see continued revival is that if somebody younger will step up to the man of God and get behind him and say, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whatever you do, I'm going to do. You ought to drive them crazy. I get like that at home. I drive people crazy. I never go away. Why are you trying to go everywhere we going? Why is he trying to do everything that we're doing? He says, Elisha, what do you want? I just want a double portion of your spirit. If you think Randy Williams is bad, watch what happens to the next generation that gets the double portion. But somebody's got to pursue it relentlessly.
Listen, it's not just going to fall to you. It's not just going to happen. You've got to be there. You've got to be there every step of the way. You've got to stand in and say, wherever you go, I want to go. I want to do what you do. I want to go where you go. When you see them running around the church, you ought to run too. This whole church ought to be running. Pursuing after the mantle. And it takes people, it takes people that are willing to put their ego aside and understand that there are some people that are some clicks down the road from you. That's why I go and found an elder in the house that's been doing this for a long time because there's levels to this. And you go find that elder. I'm telling you, young people, I'm giving you some treasure that you're going to be able to use for a long time. Hear me today. Grab you somebody that's been living for God for a long time and that's doing something of merit in the kingdom of God and pursue them relentlessly. They get sick of me because I want to sit them down. Hey, sit down for a while. You know how grandma says, y'all just sit down. She wants you to stay for a while. I got that old spirit on me. Sit down. Let's talk. I want to hear the story again. I want to know how you got over. I want to know how all of this happened. I'm telling you, young person, go and grab somebody that's been doing this and just follow after everything that they're doing. If they're doing something great in the kingdom of God, you got to follow after that. Y'all think I'm just talking about preaching. Come on, y'all know me better than that. That's so shallow. We need way more than preachers in the house of God. I'm preaching to somebody. You need to find a Sunday school teacher that does it well and pursue them relentlessly. I'm preaching to you that you need to find somebody that's cooking on a Sunday night and pursue them relentlessly. I'm preaching to you that you need to find somebody that just cleans up the house of God and pursue them relentlessly. You know what the Bible said about Elisha? Jehoshaphat. He says, is there, is there a prophet in Israel? 2 Kings chapter 3, I think it's verse 11. And you know the testimony that he gave of Elisha, that they gave of Elisha. They said, Elisha, there's Elisha, he's here. And you know what he did? He poured water on the hands of the man of God. What about all the miracles? What about everything else that he was able to do? No. He had a servant's heart. He learned how to follow, and all he did was pour water on the hand. I don't even know what that means, but he just picked up the thing, and he said, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it well. What am I preaching to you right now? I'm preaching, preaching to you right now that you've got to grab somebody, and you've got to pursue them with everything that you've got. God's going to do something great in your life, but first, got to learn how to follow. an attitude in your spirit that says I'll follow you wherever you go 
I'm telling you, I believe that this spiritual transfer tonight is going to get a hold of some of these young men. It's going to get a hold of some of these young ladies. And God's going to shake your world. And it'll never be the same. You'll never look at coming to the house of God again the same. You're going to come with a different determination in your spirit. I've got to pursue this thing. I've got to go and get it. Elisha, one of the things that we learned from him is that he had a get up and go in his spirit. He was ready to move whenever the man moved, which means he's always watching him. He's always paying attention. He's always in place. One of the things that I learned early on in living for God is I just got to make myself available to the kingdom of God. I watched a young person one time, my pastor asked him to do something, and they said no, and it rocked my world. I couldn't understand that. And at that moment, I was a kid, and it was another kid he was talking to, and I made a, a, a decision in that moment that no matter what he asked me to do, if the man of God asked me to do it, it does, listen here, it doesn't matter if you think you're qualified. If the man of God asks you to do it, he sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. So I just learned how to say yes to the things of God. It's just that simple. Whatever they ask me to do, whether I feel comfortable or not, if this is what the church needs, this is what I'll do. Tonight, if you catch me in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm telling you, whatever the pastor, whatever the bishop, whatever they ask me to do, I'm going to clean out my schedule. If he would have called me right now before church and told me he needed me home, I would have said, Brother Williams, I love you, but I got to get back to the house. My man of God needs me. We got to start to pursue after the man of God again. We can't let that die in the church. You got to get somebody that will stand behind the man. I'm hurrying. You know I'm taking my time. And Elisha, he sees him when he goes up. The Bible says that the mantle falls down. And Elisha would see Elijah no more. Here's what we got to get, young people. It's not just about getting the mantle. It's about what you do with it after you get it. A couple notes. One of the things that he does when he gets the mantle is Elijah, before he dies, he goes and he splits the Jordan and they walk through. Elijah goes up, the whirlwind. Elisha grabs that mantle. And you know the first place that he went? He went right back to the Jordan. I'm preaching to you right now. Get the mantle. But here's the ticket. You don't even have to do anything new with it. You can go right back and do everything that you saw the man of God do. 
If it worked for generations of old, hear me today. If it worked for generations of old, it'll work for us. You got to keep the old paths. You got to keep the ancient landmarks. You got to still preach Acts 2.38. You still got to say holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's the same thing I've been hearing my pastor preach for a long time. So that's when I pick up the microphone, you're going to hear the same message. You're going to hear the same song. The way that you're saved, if you got to repent, you've got to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. goes back to the Jordan and the thing that he says is what grips me he says where is the Lord God of Elijah Elijah's gone no doubt but the God that Elijah served is still on the throne I've got to get a relationship it's not just enough for me to get a relationship with the man of God but I got to get a relationship with who the man of God has a relationship with. I've got to get my own direct line to the same God that the man of God has. And I got to talk to him. And I got to get to know him for myself. I'm preaching to somebody. You got to get off of Instagram for just a minute and get a relationship with God. You got to get off of Facebook for a little while and get a relationship with God. You got to get in the prayer room so you can learn about the God of Elijah. You got to... place it's called heritage research group and what they do I know I'm all over the place just stay with me we're going somewhere we're gonna we're gonna have a good time what they do is they track craftsmen across the world that do very specialized trades and they try to preserve these trades before they die and he said this, he said the only way that we can preserve these trades is if there is a relentless pursuit on the behalf of the younger generation. He said, otherwise, they're going out of the window. We'll never see them again. But a younger generation's got to get an attitude in their spirit. It's not going to die on my watch. We're going to keep the fire burning. We're going to keep the church doors open. We're going to keep this thing moving. We're going to keep this thing going. I got to pursue after the mantle tonight. Stand with me all over this building. I'm almost done preaching. He said, the only way that we're going to preserve this is if there's a pursuit, relentless pursuit on the younger generation to keep these things alive. What does that tell me? That tell me it's on me. My pastor's 60, 68 years old. He's rocking along. He's strong. He's one of the strongest men I ever known. And I don't see an end for him right now. But reality will tell you that there's going to be an end. 
And so what I've got to do if, is I've got to continue to pursue him until the day that he dies. I want to know what you know. I want you to teach me all of the things that you've known before. I want you to help me to be able to get a hold of this truth the way that you've got a hold of it. I want you to be my. Because they could play softly. The greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy. Is that when a man of God is ready to distribute mantles. And he's standing there and he tells God, I finished my course. I've run my race. I've kept the faith. And the greatest tragedy is that when he turns around behind him. There's nobody following closely. You got to get a determination in your spirit today that says, I will pursue after this thing relentlessly. It's not just going to come to you, you've got to fight for this gospel, you've got to fight for this mantle. I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost right now, there's a mantle of prayer in this house right now. God's going to raise up some prayer warriors. There's some preachers in this house right now. God's going to place that mantle upon your life. There's a lot of mantles in this place, but somebody's got to pursue after this thing 100%. Every hand lifted in this house. I wish somebody will get a hold of what I'm talking about tonight. I wish somebody will get determination in your heart right now that says, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to pursue after the mantle. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be a difficult road. I know everything's not going to be peaches and cream. But God, with everything that's in me, I've got to pursue after the mantle. I've got to pursue after the mantle tonight. you feel what I'm preaching I want somebody to come around this front right now lift up your hands and make a declaration of God that every single day you're going to find me pursuing after what you want me to have you're going to find me pursuing this thing relentlessly God whatever you need of me God whatever you ask of me God I'll do God I'll go God I'll be tonight Come on, somebody, there are mantles in this house. Does anybody want them? Does anybody want it today? I want you to listen to me tonight, and I want to continue to pray. If you're praying, continue to pray, but I want you to hear me tonight. I rarely 
intersect an altar call like I'm doing right now. I've got to obey the Holy Ghost. I'm not speaking to everybody in this house, but the Lord wants to speak to some people in this place. The Bible says that many are called, but few, few are chosen. Scripture often causes one to ponder and say, Lord, how do I get from the category of just being called to being that of the chosen? I want to tell you tonight that the difference is not in God's choosing. It's in the choices of the pursuer. Preaches a tonight about Elisha who was the recipient of a mantle that Elijah carried. He pursued, he obeyed, even under duress and contention. And the mantle comes falling from the sky into Elisha's hand. But what happened to that mantle? Because anointing doesn't come just directly through the hand of God. God always lets it come through the hand of spiritual authority in your life. As a matter of fact, when Elisha got the mantle, he didn't go to the tailor to get fitted for a new mantle. He had to operate under the unction of the same anointing that was carried by Elijah. His first miracle at the river was not even done under the authority of his own anointing, but under the auspices of the anointing that was connected to his pastor's name. But what happened to that mantle that Elisha carried? Where was the next generation? We only find one reference in Scripture to the successor or potential successor of Elisha. And it was a man by the name of Gehazi who operated in the same office that Elisha did. He was a servant to the man of God. He was the only one that walked in close proximity. But he made choices that were different than that of Elisha. And I'm going to tell you what he got caught up doing. Gehazi loved the idea of people seeing him pursue the anointing in public. It looked good for a young man to pursue that which was the anointing. As a matter of fact, it brought an attraction to him by nature of what he wanted everybody to look at him pursuing. But what was demonstrated in public was not what was being pursued in private. And in public, it looked like Gehazi was in line with his man of God. But when nobody else was looking and, 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 and his pastor wasn't watching, Gehazi wanted to do his way. 
The man of God said, we're not taking payment from you, Naaman. You can't buy the healing of God in your life. And they walk away. And old Gehazi said, you know what, uh, Pastor, I, I got some stuff I got to take care of. I'll, I'll be back. And when the man of God wasn't watching, Gehazi went over and said, I, I know that's what the man of God said. But, but I, I got some ideas that I think are a little bit better. He, he really doesn't know exactly what he's talking about. I'm going to go ahead and do things my way. You read it when you get home. And so he goes and strikes a deal. And there's a reason I'm saying this because a few days ago, God revealed something to me. And I, my, my initial reaction was, I, I, I need to handle this. I'm, I need to take care of this. But within just a few moments, God said, take your hand off it at the moment. And I, I can't explain how all of this is orchestrated. God said, I'm, I'm going to open an opportunity. Brother Irvin has no idea any of this. We, we, we talk about nothing. Tonight, he steps in the Holy Ghost preaching. And I said, okay, God. Gehazi comes back. The man of God says, Gehazi, what you been doing? Gehazi doesn't realize this, but this is a rhetorical question. Elisha's asking a question to which he already has the answers for. But he's wanting to see the character of Gehazi. God has already showed him that Gehazi is living in disobedience in private. While publicly he wants people to think he's pursuing the anointing. So, Gehazi, what you been doing? Oh, Ain't been doing nothing. Man of God puts his finger on his chest and says, God showed me exactly what you were doing. In direct disobedience. And the biggest problem wasn't that he made a mistake in doing what was wrong. It was that he was trying to portray an image to everybody else about his motives. Many are called, few are chosen. Gehazi, you had the same calling that Elisha had. But you're making choices. I can't put my anointing on that kind of, I can't trust you. I can't trust that kind of behavior. It, listen, I'm not talking to everybody, but I'm talking to some people that, that publicly tonight, you're crying, you're, you're praying, you're amen in the preacher about, I, I want to pursue, I want the anointing. Do you really? Because God's going to test your character. God's going to find out if you're really serious about that anointing or if you're just putting on a show because you think the anointing looks good on you. And what is done in private, God will always make public. 
Gehazi. Sorry. There was judgment that was met out. But you want to know the saddest thing, Brother Herman? Is later in the scriptures we find a group of soldiers as they run past the grave of Elisha and they cast the dead body of one of their fallen comrades into the grave. The Bible says when his body hits the bones of Elisha, comes back to life. As far as we know, that mantle that should have been carried, instead got buried. Because God would rather bury a mantle than to set it on the shoulders of somebody he cannot trust. And the Holy Ghost just arranged this service tonight. But I'm talking to some people and you know who you are. You're about to let a mantle pass you by because of choices and decisions that you're making. And I believe that God gave this one service tonight as an opportunity for somebody to get it right before it's too late and you miss the window. You know why Elisha didn't call Gehazi out? Because he was waiting for Gehazi to come clean. When he asked him the question, it was Gehazi's one chance to get it right. I believe if Gehazi would have been transparent and honest right then and there, he could have changed and figured it out. But his deception and self-justification caused him to abort destiny in his life. Gehazi dies with the stain of leprosy instead of walking under the mantle of anointing that God intended for him to have. Many are called, but the choosing is up to you. I want us to raise our hands tonight. And I don't want anybody looking around, but there's some people that God's talking to in this place tonight. Uh, uh, God is talking to you just, just... just less than 72 hours ago, God revealed some things. And, and as, as the Elisha, God said, wait a second, I've revealed it to you, but not for you to confront it. I'm going to bring a word into the house. And tonight, God's given somebody an opportunity to get it right. Come on, I want us to pray. I want us to pray. Come on, just a few minutes ago, there was people amening and shouting the preacher about being pursuing the anointing and it looks real good to amen the preacher it looks really good to shout behind the man of god who's talking about the anointing but where the rubber meets the road is right now between you and god when god sees and god knows and god understands in the private parts in the places you thought nobody knew about in the areas you thought you were getting away with in the in the arena that you thought your disobedience god said i'm I'm talking to you one more time come on somebody needs to pray tonight somebody needs you've got a choice to make you've got a choice to make many are called but few are chosen you've got a choice to make tonight god god your destiny for my life is too great to forfeit god your destiny come on gehazi
If you just do things God's way, God's got a blessing for you. Come on, Gehaziah. If you would just be obedient uh, instead of stubborn uh, and full of self-will, you could have walked in the calling of God that was on your life. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. This is where it finds reality tonight. Come on. Come on. God's walking to and fro in this house tonight. There's a proving happening in this altar tonight. There's a proving happening in this sanctuary tonight. Come on, come on. Oh, Come on, somebody. Come on, God said, my call on their life is real, but I don't know if they're going to make the right choices. My call on their life is a real call. But I don't know if they're going to make the right to many are called, uh, but few are chosen. Uh, There's only going to be a few uh, that crucify their flesh. Uh, There's only going to be a few uh, that discard disobedience uh, and self-will and stubbornness. Uh, There's only going to be a few uh, that surrender themselves and humble. Many are called. I'm, I'm calling them. Come on. Come on, somebody pray. Come on. I will be what you've called me to be. I'll say yes. Lord, I agree. My desire passionately is to be what call me to be come on come on young man come on young lady it's got to be more than a show in front of everybody else it's got to be more than a public demonstration come on what you what you're doing outside of the eyes of everybody else God's keeping track of your obedience God's keeping track of your actions come on Come on, come on. Passionately, he is to be what you've called me to be. That's what I'll be. Come on. I will be what you've called me to be. I'll say Come on, Gehazi. Come on, Gehazi. I'm pleading with you tonight. Don't throw away the anointing. Don't throw it away. Come on, turn and repent. Let godly sorrow grip your heart. 
Come on in Jesus' name. Come on in Jesus' name. Passionately is to be what you've called me to be. That's what I'll be. I'll say yes. Yes. I agree. Woo! Come on, somebody. God wants to get it out of your spirit. Say yes. Yes. I agree. I'll say yes, yes, I agree, come on, hey, I'll say yes, yes, I agree, yeah. Somebody needs to pray until you break through tonight. Somebody needs to pray until you break through the callousness that's developed in your spirit. The callousness that's developed in your conscience. Come on. Come on. Come on. Some of us have learned how to live in disobedience uh, until we can shut off uh, the voice of conviction uh, and we've calloused uh, our sensitivity uh, and we can disobey uh, without even feeling remorse. Uh, come on, it's time to press uh, your way through the veil of flesh. God, don't let me have a heart of stone. Uh, God, don't let me become reprobate. Uh, in this area of my life, in Jesus' name, come on, come on, come on, I'll say yes, yes, I agree, hey, I'll say Jesus! Jesus! Come on, Gehazi. You're not just deceiving people. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. 